Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. What happened in the middle of it was that I actually ended up losing my period, I think at the age of 14. And I was in and out of hospitals for most of my life because of my eating disorder and anxiety and all that. And it came to a point that in my later years where I realized that my period just never came back, even though I was weight, like I had been weight restored a couple of times and I lost weight again. When I wanted to take my health more seriously and start trying to recover, the period thing was the biggest issue. What is going on, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Well, we are speaking with another fellow 20-something FDN. Her name is Barbara Matamenos. This woman is a wealth of great information. She also posts very interesting content that's like very consistent and to the point. Her Instagram's at Barbara Matamenos. And I know that sounds kind of early to shout someone's IG or social out, but I've done that before. And I typically feel inclined to do that for people who are really just that consistent with what they're doing and are going that far out of their way to post quality content. I think there's something to be said about it. So definitely go give her a follow. With that said, we're going to talk about a few different things today. Anorexia nervosa and eating disorder. Um, osteoporosis, and the fact that she ended up losing her period, Barbara, that is, in her very early teenage years, only 14 years old, as you guys heard in the excerpt. Now, especially with the anorexia, I mean, the other things we've covered once or twice before, at least, especially the period thing on the podcast, but anorexia is not something we've ever had covered on here. We've covered bulimia, and that was about it in the realm of eating disorders. Then outside of that, there's been nothing. And the reason I'm going in on this for a second is because I'm someone that you guys know is in the mental health space. I am here largely because of mental health issues that I did deal with that led me to FDN eventually. And I say this exact thing in the podcast, but to me, it's important enough to reiterate in the beginning here. I think there is a lot of confusion and stigma still around mental health conditions. I think this can be even more true with certain mental health conditions. I think the eating disorder one is hard for people to understand. I think other things like schizophrenia, bipolar are hard for people to understand. And not that we talk about those two today, but nonetheless, I'm trying to group those in all together in the sense that there is a societal confusion with these things. If you haven't experienced a given mental health condition or seen it directly in someone that you really love and trust and you're taking their word at face value. Yeah, I even as someone who has been through this, I cannot sit here and honestly state that I don't understand why stigma exists, why there is confusion around this. I get it. I really do get it. What I always like to tell people though, and like is not the correct word, but anorexia nervosa is the mental health condition out of every single one of the other mental health conditions out there. There are quite a few in the DSM, which is, uh, if you don't know, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's how uh, professionals diagnose mental health conditions. The number one mental health condition most associated with fatalities. It kills more people than any other mental health condition. 
in the sense of percentages. I'm not really sure. I actually don't want to, don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if it's the most overall, but it is the highest one in terms of percentages. That I do know. Guys, this is a real thing. You know what I mean? This isn't (laughs) um, an attention-seeking thing. This isn't something that people do for fun because they're bored. I don't think you end up dying from something. This universally, the way that it's happening with so many people um, from attention-seeking, right? And I really want to believe that the people on this podcast don't have this same level of ignorance around any physical health issue or mental health issue, but there's always one. I've been doing this long enough to know that there's always one. And so I encourage everyone always to go in with an open mind when we're talking about mental health or physical health, because even some physical health issues can sound you know, pretty extreme for some. And just know that these are real people that go through real things, man. Educate yourself. Why don't you look it up? Why don't you study it a little bit? You might find that someone that you know has these types of conditions and you didn't even realize it because of the societal lens that you have. I'm not here to give a whole lecture about that. I'm just saying this is an important topic and these are real things. Even if you don't understand it, it's still real for someone else and can greatly affect their life to the point of ending up in the hospital multiple times as uh, was the case for Barbara. So a little bit about her. She is a functional health coach located in Montreal, Quebec with a focus on women's metabolic and endocrine disorders. How she ended up working in this space with this specialty all started when she was just 13 years old and was diagnosed with anorexia. In the midst of her disorder, she also developed severe hormonal imbalances such as amenorrhea, amenorrhea is the loss of a menstrual cycle, hypothyroidism, anxiety, alcohol, and drug abuse, as well as self-harm coping mechanisms. And this all kind of led her down a pretty deep hole. Finally, in October of 2018, she was diagnosed with osteoporosis, and at the end of her rope, she decided to try and recover on her own by educating herself on the foundations of what it is to heal metabolically. Today, at the age of 28, she has successfully recovered, and she's passionate about educating women on doing the same thing that she did through a food-first approach with lifestyle and supplemental modifications. Well, Barbara is a heck of a trooper, it's a heck of a story, and we were so glad to have her on. So, without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right, Miss Barbara Matamenos, thanks so much for being here with us today. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It has been a long time coming to get her on the podcast here. Very busy woman. And so I'm really excited too, because this is the first interview that I've done with the new mic. It's sounding good. I'm really excited to have this thing. It's like a radio studio quality microphone. So I don't even know if anyone can tell the subtle differences between this and the old podcast. But to me, it makes a huge difference. I love it. I'm excited to do the interview uh, generally. But now I'm double excited just because of that. So we will start off in the same place that we usually do on this podcast. And that is just as simple as where did this health journey begin? And what I mean by that specifically is when did the health symptoms for Barbara start and what did those look like? Uh, so, well, first of all, I can definitely hear a really great, uh, you know, voice from you with your new microphone. So happy for you. Barbara approved. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> um, well, so my story is like, it's pretty long, but I mean, in short, um, My health journey started actually when I was around 13 years old. Um, That's when I started, I actually developed an eating disorder and um, it lasted for close to a little over 15 years. Um, I'm 28 now, so it's been a while. But what happened in the middle of it was that I actually ended up losing uh, my period, I think at the age of 14. 
Um, and I was in and out of hospitals for most of my life because of my eating disorder and anxiety and all that. And it came to a point that in my later years where um, I realized that my period just never came back, even though I was weight, like I had been weight restored a couple of times and I lost weight again. When I wanted to take my health more seriously and start trying to recover, the period thing was the biggest issue. And um, back in 2018, I actually ended up in the hospital again uh, because I broke my hip, surprisingly. And that's when I was diagnosed with osteoporosis. And I was like, okay, well, I really got to get things undergoing. Um, I got to take things a lot more seriously. And I realized that you know, my osteoporosis was intertwined with my hormonal issues, my no period. And then I developed really horrible gut issues. Um, you know, it was just like, a you know, one after the other type of thing. And finally, you know, I decided I had to take things into my own hands and really try and get myself better because I wasn't getting the help that I needed. And we did it in the end. So <laughs> here we are today. Okay. So there's a lot to already dive into yeah. there because- for those that listen regularly, and thankfully we do have a lot of regular listeners now that like to just get all these stories and different perspectives, then you already know um, I had a long history with the mental health side of things. And I think it might be easier for someone to connect the whole anxiety or depression thing, at least in today's world and climate, to functional medicine or natural health, right? And I think the farther away we go from those, the harder it is to connect, right? And we might not necessarily be able to see, okay, well, what does functional medicine and natural health um, do for an eating disorder? So I'm, I'm curious about that. But even before that, there was a term that you used, which I'm, I've never heard this before, but I'm already kind of thinking that this is a medical procedure. I think you called it weight restoration. Is that something that's done for people who are dealing with certain eating disorders? Yeah. So, um, I was, I had my eating disorder that I was dealing with as was anorexia. So I was severely underweight and in times in which there, this is like a medical emergency where somebody is almost like emaciated. Um, the, the, like, you know, the first in line of intervention is really to weight restore them, you wow. know, before they start, um, developing things like organ failure. So, I was, because I was in and out of hospitals many times when I was younger, um, you know, I had to go in and out of hospitals for weight restoration because I continued because I continued to lose weight. Wow. Okay. I've never, I'm very familiar with, um, the spectrum of eating disorders, but I've never heard that term. And it just, it seemed intuitive to me. I'm like, okay, is this really because this person has become so underweight that they need to do that? That's intense. Um, that is absolutely intense. And I don't think we would ever need to justify this on this podcast, but as someone who, I mean, I know both of us directly and indirectly are mental health advocates, right? In one way or another, I, I actually talk about anorexia to some degree, a decent amount, because I think maybe maybe anxiety and depression are doing a little better in terms of stigma, but I feel like everything else is still just as bad as it's ever been. Guys, uh, anorexia is the mental health condition most associated out of all the mental health conditions, most associated with fatalities. Like this is a very real thing. Um, this absolutely affects people severely. Right. And again, probably not something I need to stay on a podcast like this. I think people are more well-versed, but I do know how hard it is for those 
individuals who haven't dealt with mental health issues to comprehend that these are real. A panic attack is a real experience. Depression is a real experience. Um, eating disorder, schizophrenia, bipolar, whatever it might be. So at 13, when this is starting, and I know that maybe there is more to this that you figured out nutritionally or whatever down the road, but from your interpretation, like what was triggering this at 13? Is this completely just something that you were predisposed to? Was this a societal thing? Because I know uh, both of those things are shouted at sometimes as being causes for this. So what's your perspective on why this may have started manifesting at 13? Yeah. So um, what's funny is that this this was never a societal thing. Um, I was not heavily influenced by like the media or anything like that. And I think most people who do end up um, developing an eating disorder, that is not the forefront um, or rather the main influence is what causes them, you know, like to make them react in such a way and develop it. Um, Usually there's something that's happening in the family or they have a predisposition because there are some studies now showing that um, eating disorders can end up becoming hereditary um, or there's some type of there's something happening in the genes. Um, I know I have an aunt who had an eating disorder. I have a couple of cousins um, who've had eating disorders. Um, And I do also see a bit of it like in just how my um, my direct family may have like some food issues. So I, not that it was, not that I lived in a diet, like heavy household. It's just people were very, um, they were focused on their appearance. Um, but I was also a very anxious and like I was a, I had a low self-esteem when I was a kid, you know, and I I just don't know where that came from necessarily. I will, I've always been like that and, you know, throw in my parents' divorce and, you know, then you have a recipe for disaster. Sure. And um, I appreciate someone who's dealt with this having that perspective because I I do think society impacts us all. I mean, there's no doubt about that, right? It's always just figuring out to what degree does this matter in general? What degree does it matter for individuals um, in specific circumstances? We're wired to care what other people think and to compare ourselves to other people. And at one time, this is probably useful in tribal days when there's very limited people, you know, you're comparing yourself to others in the tribes to see who's doing the best. And then you're You try to be like them for survival. But now we, just like so many mechanisms that were useful thousands of years ago that aren't useful now, our brains are wired in this way and social media abuses it. Um, You know, magazines abuse it, advertisements abuse it. We don't necessarily need to be comparing ourselves to other people, certainly not in the way that we're wired to. Um, In today's world, you know, we're not in these tribal days, most of us. So, it's not necessary and it's being abused. But in your case, you know, I, this is what I find interesting. You're not even necessarily saying society was a huge part of this if any, if it played any role at all. And I do find that interesting because I've never understood how societal influence can take someone to the point of needing something like weight restoration, right? That that's I understand how this could influence someone's food choices at the restaurant, but that seems pretty extreme. Um, certainly extreme enough that I don't understand how these eating disorders would be so prevalent. I think we need to be looking at this in a different way as a legitimate, real mental health condition that comes from, or at least in part, from somewhere else other than just society. So let's do better as a society, yes, but let's also look at what else is going on uh, with these individuals. And that kind of leads me to my next question. So, well, I guess even before we get to the natural stuff, I I am curious because you said you got to this point where you had to take your health into your own hands. And that is so true for virtually everyone that comes onto this podcast. I mean, what was being 
done for you overall? Like were medic, I mean, if we can ask this, were medications being given? Was counseling recommended? Like what was being done that didn't work well enough yeah. that you eventually led to doing this yourself? So, um, <laughs> uh, funny, um, not funny, but, uh, I was a very, very difficult patient. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people who, especially when you don't want the help, um, you're very resistant to treatment. Um, and you know, many people who do suffer with eating disorders, you know, it because the disorder, the whole the whole notion of disorder is that it almost becomes your identity. You know, you start feeling like being not just the sick one, but the thin one, the small one, the one who's in control of everything, but really you, you're not in control of much. Um, it becomes you, and you you develop this fear in losing it, and. Um, yeah, I was in and out of treatment. I mean, I went, I went, I was in the hospital maybe three times, outpatient four times. Um, I think I've seen every type of professional you can imagine: psychologist, psychotherapist, psychiatrist, uh, regular therapist, you name it. That I just never really meshed with them. I never liked the way that they approached it. They never took an individualistic approach with me. Um, it was a very cookie cutter approach. And yes, medication was offered to me a couple of times, but um, it was never, there was never, it was never necessarily for the benefit of me. I do remember being, you know, sitting down um, in the mental ward and I had a psychotherapist approach to me, approach me. I think he was a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist. I don't quite remember, but he approached me and he said, I want to give you these antidepressants because you're so difficult um, to handle. And I told him, I'm like, you're going to give me pills just because I have an opinion on things. And he said, well, I just, I like, you're just too difficult to speak to and I can't control you. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So that turned me off. So anyways, once I left the medical system at 18, you're considered an adult here in Quebec. Um, I, I left and, you know, I ended up losing more weight. I ended up even worse, but I didn't feel comfortable seeking the help that I had gotten from the medical system. And then once I broke my hip, I realized, okay, you know, this is it. Like I can't continue to, to starve myself and, or anything because now my bones are so brittle, you know, I'm, I'm at, I'm at the end of my rope. And, um, I did try and seek help at the time when I was in the hospital um, because of my osteoporosis, but they weren't taking me seriously because they thought that an eating disorder wasn't a serious condition. Um, granted, I was in a regular hospital. I wasn't in a mental ward or anything. So they didn't under quite understand what it was. So, you know, when you're so, when you're, when you're at rock bottom, I think something just clicks, you go into like a survival mode and you're like, okay, I just, I have to do this by myself. And, you know, I think, mm -hmm. I think I was, it was just like the right time and the right mindset. I was ready to recover and I just did it. Okay. What is, is this, sorry, this triggered another question for me and I'll stop at this one and then we'll get into more of the natural stuff because I'm just mm -hmm. so curious because I feel like it's very, very different from mental health issue to mental health issue. You're obviously, I mean, I know you outside of this highly intelligent person, well-read and mental health conditions can still take over the minds of even the most intelligent individuals. It doesn't really matter, right? What is the perspective of someone that's dealing with anorexia 
when, and I know that body dysmorphia can be a huge thing. I mean, certainly at some point, especially with these diagnoses of like the osteoporosis and stuff, you have to realize, I'm assuming, and I could be assuming incorrectly, that the body is failing, this isn't working, whatever, and then still we're continuing to calorie restrict and um, usually people like this engage in rigorous exercise that's not appropriate, right? Everyone should exercise, but it's not appropriate at the time. Can I ask, like, what what is the mindset going on at these times? Like, what, what are you thinking as Barbara when you know that this isn't working, but the actions continue? Like, what what's the thought process there? I think it's this fear of const. Well, for me, it was just this fear of not being enough if I were to stop um, these these idiosyncrasies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was if you're not enough, then you have to continue to minimize yourself. You have to continue to um, like this was the only thing that I felt like I had control over in my life, and the only thing that I felt like I was good at. And I didn't know if I had an identity outside of my disorder. Um, and I was so used to punishing myself and, you know, I mean, I'm not sure if I mentioned this before, but I mean, I had developed other things as well. Like I developed a binge drinking, um, for a couple of years during my teenage years, I was also, um, addicted to, um, painkillers at some point. Hmm. I also played with self-harm at some point as well. And that took like maybe last year was my last year of self-harm for me. It was, it was really it was really um, a journey, you know, to say the least. And I think this whole point of, you know, repeating these patterns, even though that you know that you're hurting yourself, you don't know how else to handle yourself because you don't know how to love yourself. You don't know how to care for yourself because you're so used to, um, you're so, yeah, you're basically just so used to hating yourself. So it's like this cycle. Thank you for that answer because I feel like this is, not only important for people that are out there that are going to relate to this, but also people, I know we have, I know our audience typically, not always, but typically is more middle-aged. And so I'm assuming a lot of these people have kids and they might be seeing some of these symptoms going on. And I think one of the best things that we could ever do, regardless of the mental health issue, is allow people that are watching this from the outside to truly get a perspective of what it's like you know, and everyone's different, but what it's like to that person who's dealing with it, because I'll never forget, there was people that loved me that when I started talking about, hey, you know, I'm actually dealing with major depressive disorder. They meant this respectfully. They weren't being rude, but they would be like, oh, well, you're not depressed. You still go out with friends. And I'm like, oh, my God, like <laughs> right, like yeah. the societal <laughs> perspective on mental health issues and what they should mean and what they don't mean is ridiculous. And so I think that's a powerful answer and it really helps people out. So you get to this point, you're like, OK. I need to do something different. I'm ready to do this. And I I realize, hey, I might need to do this by myself. Where the heck do you even begin to start this journey of taking things into control? Are you you reading books? Are you studying stuff online? Like, where did that begin? So I tried, I've been dabbling, I was dabbling in trying to, you know, recover, quote unquote, for many years, but I kept failing because I wasn't serious enough over it. But what I feel like started me was trying, I, I was constantly trying to break this fear down with food. And so what initially started me and kind of going into like this whole natural space was trying to figure out what can I eat for things to benefit me. Um, 
you know, with the symptoms, with the symptoms that I was experiencing. So at the time I was dealing with severe, you know, hair loss, uh, sometimes some acne, you know, lack of energy, fatigue. Um, and so I was like, okay, what kind of foods are going to help with my hair? What kind of foods are going to help with my acne? What kind of foods are going to help with my gut issues? And slowly, but surely, you know, once you start into, once you start, you know, educating yourself as like what food is medicine, you go down the whole rabbit hole of natural healing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. And it's a pretty deep rabbit hole. <laughs> yes, I'm still like deep. wandering down here for sure. But okay, so then what was like the first win that you got where you're like, hey, this is actually working. This is moving in the right direction. Because I'm assuming in your position at that time, I mean, simply eating anything was like, you know, and doing that on a consistent basis is probably super beneficial. Um, So maybe it was that maybe it was something else. Like, when did things start really moving in the right direction? You're like, okay, I'm onto something here. Because usually the first thing or even things that we try in the natural space, yes, that's not going to be the resolution to everything we've ever dealt with. But there is a moment where we're like, wow, like for me, it was switching to all organic for 30 days. And I've maintained that um, for a while now. But that first 30 days, I saw such a dramatic change in my health that I was like, okay, I'm not perfect but I'm onto something here. What was that moment for you? Well, I think because I was also simultaneously um, dealing with a lot of anxiety, I was also reading up a lot on herbs as well. And so I um, I started playing around with adaptogens to see if there was something that could help balance my mood. And so I wouldn't feel so low and relapse again. And so I started playing with, you know, ashwagandha, holy basil, rhodiola, things like that, mushrooms. And I realized that my mood was so much more stable in, in, in such a drastic way that I was like, this is, this is not normal. Like I haven't, I haven't felt like I haven't had a panic attack in like, you know, a month, like how is this possible? And so I started, you know, really going more into, herbs and stuff. And then I went down the whole rabbit hole on, um, you know, supplements and all that and how you could basically support yourself, not just your mood through, uh, herbs, but also, um, you know, food. And then I started going into like the gut microbiome and, you know, why I was dealing with digestive issues and all that. It was, you know, you you go down the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that's really cool because, you know, supplements are usually by definition supplemental, but in a position when someone's body is probably pretty malnourished, I feel like they could have an even extra effect, right? Because you're getting stuff that you just really, really need um, and simply don't have at that time. And I know that it wasn't for the same reasons, but I ate a lot of junk food. That was kind of my my thing. So I was malnourished in a different way. And when I started using a multivitamin as well, that was, I mean, technically even before the 30 days of organic, to be honest, that was one of the first things that really made me start thinking about this because I noticed my mental health was getting better and nothing had ever moved the needle for my mental health at all. So I was like, wow, this is really, this is cool. Like I'm onto something here. How did this lead to eventually, because I know that um, even before FDN, I believe you did the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, right? Was that kind of the first time that you did a certification involving something like this? Yeah. And, you know, that was actually right in the middle of whether I was trying to decide whether I wanted to get better or not. Um, I wanted to get this health coaching certification because I realized that I really wanted to support, you know, other people with um, recovering from eating disorders and really utilizing food as medicine. Um, But there's only just so much food can do, right? You know, food is just one pillar of the many foundations that we have to health, right? Mm -hmm. 
So um, then I found FDN and I was like, okay, this, this is where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> this is, this was the next level I was looking for. Right. And, you know, as someone who did both in that order as well, IIN is really great for the emotional stuff, coaching or whatever. FDN, there's really no doubt about it at the time of recording. This is astronomically, uh, astronomically, excuse me, uh, more technical, more scientific, right? And there's just a lot of information for people that are really looking to dive deep. Um, but I think especially in the position that you were at, IIN was probably great. IIN worked well for me in certain ways too, with the position that I was in when I went through. So when you were going through FDN though, you had the luxury of getting to utilize some lab tests on yourself and really figuring out what was going on. Um, and especially I feel like the hormone one was probably particularly insightful for you. So do you recall, I mean, what were some of the things that you found on the labs? Because for those that don't know, just to give some context, so outside of FDN Thrive, obviously we have FDN practitioners on, people that go through our course certification program. And when you go through that, I mean, of course, you have to do all the coursework too, but you do get some labs to run on yourself. So that's what we're referring to here. Uh, what did you find on those that were maybe notable that you're like, whoa? <laughs> so I, I don't remember everything, but I do remember that um, I do remember when taking, I think the adrenal stress profile, my cortisol would always shoot up in the, in the afternoon, um, which I found very interesting. And I think it is because my body was so, was just so acutely stressed just from, just from what I would do in, during the day. Like I was not getting enough, enough rest and my liver profile um for the metabolic wellness assessment panel was through the roof i just remember i don't remember who i had as a a mentor who was reviewing my labs but she was like that's really high and i'm like that <laughs> that does look really high is that normal she's like no <laughs> Oh, this does not look normal. <laughs> so then I realized that my liver was really overtaxed and it's probably because I wasn't eating enough carbs um, and it was just overburdened. You know, I was just not providing my body with the, with enough energy to just function, you know, and that directly affects your thyroid and um, so many other things. And, you know, you, you, you have to, you, you really have to get going. Your liver, my, the liver is like my favorite organ. I could talk about it all day, but yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's what we love about people on this show, right? We're people that have favorite organs. So, you know, not, not everyone in this world has a favorite organ, if you ask them, you know what I mean? Um, or they would give like a really generic answer, like, oh, the heart or something. But so that's great. We're glad that the liver is your favorite organ. I'll start making that a regular question on here. Um, when you were going through the FDN process then and, you know, getting to utilize some of the stuff, because of course, not only do you get the test results, you're getting to implement certain things where I feel like this had to be because I'm just trying to understand the timeline. I feel like you got into this relatively early compared to most people on their healing journey. Like sometimes it takes them a decade or two to find FDN, but it sounds like from the time that you were trying to get better, truly, um, to the time you found this was probably under a decade, which is great. So I feel like the improvements would have been more notable. Like what did you find was happening in the in a good way, like in the positive direction as you were going through the course and kind of maybe utilizing some protocols that were based off these lab results? So I, yes, you're right. I was, I was really learning this very, like in very early during my healing journey. And the reason was because I wasn't getting any help from the hospital. You know, when you, when I left the hospital, they were like, Hey, you have osteoporosis and your only option is to go on, um, HRT, 
which is hormonal replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. I went on the HRT for three months and I ended up so sick. I got off of it, went back to the doctor and I said, this stuff does not work. And they said, wow. well, it's either that or hormonal birth control. And I was like, but that isn't going to give me what I need. You know, birth control is just going to shut down my ovulation. I'm already not ovulating. How is this going to help me? So um, when I was going through the course and I was at, as I was learning about the hormones and all that, you know, it really helped me understand what needs to be done or what are what 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 are the level what are the correct levels of hormones that I should be looking out for and how I should be getting how I should um work on elevating my hormones to those levels because I was pretty much like nil to none you know non-existent you know my body was just shut down and so I was I learned about the different types of stressors and you know what I should be doing to help relieve that stress off of my body and slowly but surely you know, things started looking up because I was doing, I was working at the foundations first and foremost, you know, such as the dress protocol that we learn. And, you know, I, when did I get my period? Last January. So it's going to be a year now that I finally got it back just by. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I know. Like period party guys. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, it like, it's, this is what I did. I really followed the, the foundations first of what I was taught in the course without any hormone replacement whatsoever. And it was really just, you know, focusing and following the basic steps. Well, first of all, congratulations, because that is awesome. And I talked to, especially being in a similar age range to you, right, where we're only a couple of years apart. I find that on social media, I have a lot of friends that were from high school or, you know, people that went to college and destroyed their bodies. And then they reach out to me and it's unbelievable because they're not coming for this reason, but they'll talk to me about, you know, Hey, I don't have, um, you know, a period or whatever. I don't have a cycle. I'm like, Oh my goodness. And they're like, Oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. My friends don't either. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, this is not like, this is not good. Right. And we should be having these period parties, as you say, where we try to get everyone uh, good and healthy again, because 20 something year old women folks should not be lacking a period that doesn't make any sense biologically. And the fact that this has been normalized amongst the million other crazy health things that have been normalized, right? Like this is not okay. That is one of the most basic natural functions of a female body. And I just, um, I don't know how we've gotten so far away from what is actually normal that we can actually think that this is okay or appropriate, but I'm sure, I mean, you're probably seeing this all the time with women that you talk to, right? I mean, what percentage of women that you're talking to, would you say have these kinds of issues or like, how about this? It's not even just the loss of a period. What what percentage of women would you say come to you and have some type of abnormality in their cycle? Like every single one. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is, it's scary. Um, and we see the rates of infertility going up and that's certainly not just on the woman's end, right? We see the sperm count going down. Pretty scary stuff. And so we need to do the basics first. And that's why it's great to get fancy with the labs and Barbara can get extremely technical. You know, she's very well versed in this stuff. And I, I we'll talk about uh, your Instagram in a little bit because she has great Instagram content. That's like very simple, straight to the point, but you learn a lot. Um, but the point is, even without all the fancy stuff, you could get started today for free by just doing the basics. And we've talked about it a million times on this show because the fundamental truth is your body wants to be healthy. 
It does not want to be not having a period. It doesn't want to be having a low sperm count. It's doing these things because it feels like it needs to take away from these areas to help you survive. Now, you might not realize that. You might not see it at the time, but that's what it always is. The body's genius. The body's super intelligent. It's always doing the best thing for your survival, and it's going to take away from those other areas when it feels like it needs to help you in the area of survival. So doesn't make any sense. Um, to not be having a period, this is going to be the body's response to chronic stress and the other things that are, or the many things that are happening to us. So I'm so glad that things are going in the right direction for you. And I know this ended up turning into a huge passion for you where you ended up starting your own thing. So who do you work with now? Like, what have you been inspired to take on? Because it's not just people with anorexia, I'm assuming, right? You're working with a variety of different women. Yeah. So I actually, I specialize in women's metabolic and hormonal disorders. So anyone who does deal with like amenorrhea, um, PCOS, um, hypothyroidism in particular, um, post pill or trying to get off the pill, um, anything along those lines, irregular periods, you name it, I'm here, I'm your girl. Um, and I really <laughs> think it's because so many of them intertwine without us even realizing, you know, people especially when it comes to like diagnoses. I'm a really I'm a really big believer that a diagnosis is just a name on an accumulative amount of symptoms when really things could actually be a lot more similar than we actually give them credit for. Um so I try to educate women on what is happening in their body and how they could support themselves independently um, and how to get to a place where they're back to being metabolically, um, you know, sane in, you know, so to speak, right? Where they are able to uh, become healthy again. And if they do need, you know, any type of support, they could do it on their own through food and, you know, very minor supplementation and lifestyle modifications. I'm not I'm I'm here to educate first and foremost and I think that is the most empowering thing empowering thing you could do for clients. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's and it's this implies in so many categories not even just in health, right? But I'm someone that I've never really thought elsewise. Like I've always wanted to educate myself and you and I grew up in a generation that Typically, uh, most of us had access to the internet from a pretty young age, and we had the ability to go do our own research on things. And it's like, I can't even imagine now, and I get why it happens because many people don't deal with health issues at a young age, but I can't even imagine not knowing about my own body and knowing about health, you know, and that's the majority of people, Barbara, they're walking around and they have their own respective careers completely unrelated to healthcare, and they don't know anything about this. And then so when they do get sick, they go rely on a health professional. Um, and I think that's that's great. And there's a time for that. But that's what's so cool about FDNs and what we're doing. And then FDN Thrive as well. This is an educational process, first and foremost, and you're going to leave knowing as much as an FDN, probably not, you know, we're highly trained individuals, but are you going to understand why you're doing what you're doing and how you got to where you're at? Yes. And unfortunately, as simple as that is, that is certainly more than can be said about most times when we go into uh, what we'll call like the conventional healthcare system. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. I, you know, usually you walk in and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to minimize, you know, the ability that any, any conventional healthcare practitioner can help you with, but their model of care is what is your symptom here is, you know, maybe a pill or something, you know, something for that particular symptom, but no one's asking, but why do you have that symptom? And is it connected to your other symptoms? 
Yeah. It's a simple question, basically founded on the belief. And I think it's a very obvious belief, in my opinion, that the body shouldn't be sick. Plain and simple, period, right? Because you don't ask the question of why if you don't inherently believe that the body shouldn't be in a state of sickness. You know what I mean? If you believe everyone's just supposed to get sick and that's just how life is, well, of course you don't ask why, right? We treat the symptom and then we give a medication. And if that doesn't work, perhaps a surgery if that's relevant. And um, that's just not the belief that we're under. So if you are not under that belief either, (laughs) then you're in the right place. You know what I mean? Do you have any... uh, I know that we have to be careful about privacy and stuff like that. So in the way that you're able to do this, is there any like client successes that you've had so far that really like stand out? Um, and it can be something simple. I always just like to show that this is a system that works for a wide variety of individuals. Um, and I'd be curious if someone came to you and they're just like, you know what, Barbara, I relate to you totally, but I've had no results anywhere else. And then they came to you and they got results. Is there anyone that comes to mind if I say it like that? Yeah, well, I have two, actually. I have one who is a current client and somebody who is not a current client. She will be signing up with me, though, in January. Um, I'll I'll start off with my current client. She has been dealing with infertility for years, 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 years. And she's been on um, fertility treatments and all that. And she ended up losing her period last year during the summer. Uh, well, not last year, like this year, um, during the summer. And she came to me and she just wanted her period back so she could at least hopefully try again for her second kid in the new year. And within two months of working with me, she ended up getting her period back. Um, just like that by just like, she was on a full stack of supplements. We, we really minimized it down to like three or four pills. Um, you know, we really cleaned up her diet, her sleep, um, and her exercise routine. And I guess her body just really felt a lot safer where it, she was able to ovulate again. And there we go. We got a period back and she was out over the moon happy because she knows just how important it is for the body, you know, to feel safe to then bear a child. Right. You know, you can't bring a kid into this world without the body feeling safe enough and capable in supporting it. Cause then it's two lives that it has to take care of. And then there was just this other woman, because I also work at a supplement store um, with some naturopaths and homeopaths. And I had a lady who came in and she she literally brought an entire stack of her blood work. And she said, listen, I don't know where else to go. And I, I've, I've, been com- I've been called to come to the store today. I don't know like how, like what compelled her to do so, but she comes in and she said, and I wanted to ask you if you could just help me understand what my blood work says, because my doctor will not help me understand it. They're telling me that I will, that it's, it's of no importance for me to understand. Like I'm not going to be able to get it. So I went through the blood work with her and I, I don't quite remember what the marker was, but And it wasn't a very, it wasn't a common blood marker that I saw, but she was dealing with extreme body pain and fatigue. And um, I looked up the marker very quickly. And from what I gather, it was her, her cells had an inability to use and absorb glucose. So just from her symptoms that she was telling me, I immediately gave her a castor oil pack. And I said, listen, just put this over your liver because that is where most of your thyroid uh, hormone is converted. Uh, do this once for once a day for an hour for about one to two weeks. And maybe you'll see a difference with your energy levels. She comes back two weeks later and 
she was crying in the store and she was like, I have no pain anymore and I have my energy back. That's awesome. And she's been dealing with this for five years. And I was like, was it that easy? All I had to do was give you castor oil. So, um, you know, the, those little wins, you know, really make you feel good. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, to continue to help people like that as well, uh, you know, for many more years. That's amazing. Yeah. It never yeah. gets old, right? Because no. as people who've been through their own health issues, it's, you understand, it's just a whole different perspective on life, in my opinion, when you've dealt with this stuff, because you're, I don't know if everyone has this, but I feel like most people on this show do. You just start to understand how limited the time here is and how I don't want to be wasting any more time dealing with chronic health issues. So then when you can give this gift to someone else, I mean, they're coming into a supplement store with blood work, for God's sake. Like that's, that's sad, right? And I don't mean that yeah. against them. That's not their fault. It's just that's sad that that's what they feel like they need to do. And I find it even more interesting that she worded it as she felt called to do that. Because let's be dead honest, how many times are you going to walk into a supplement store and get someone as trained as you behind the counter? You know what I mean? Like that's exactly. a that's a hell of a statement to make. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm totally into that stuff. So I just find that very interesting that that worked out. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, it ends up um, being something even more as time goes on here. So um, not to, you know, I don't want it to seem random, but I wanted to make sure I asked this specifically before we got off. With the anorexia thing, is there a piece of advice that you would give to anyone out there who is currently dealing with this? You know, functional health, no functional health, that doesn't even matter to me right now. Um, this is a mental health condition that kills more people than any other mental health condition. So I think this matters a lot. Uh, what piece of advice would you maybe give someone out there that's suffering with it right now? I think what's really important is to remind yourself that you're the only person who could really make the change if you really want to make it. You know, I had to learn the hard way that no one was going to be able to help me, even if I did seek out the help that I needed to make the necessary changes to recover and get to a much better place. Um, I'm sorry, that was my phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and it's very hard to, to, to muster that strength on your own. But what I really think the, the best way to put it is don't start with the intention of trying to love yourself because that isn't, that's not going to come easily. You're not going to love yourself just like that. And you're not going to want to recover just like that either. What I think is a really helpful tool is to go look for things that you love in your life and focus on that and try and make that a priority so you could Get, so you could have the will to wake up every morning and continue to try again for that other thing that you love until you develop enough strength to start at least respecting yourself um, so you don't continue to hurt yourself, I think is the best advice that I could have. Awesome. That's wonderful. Thank you. Because I, it just, it matters, right? To get this out there for people and every physical health condition is different. Every mental health condition, especially in my opinion, is dramatically different from the next one. Um, and so it helps to have someone that's been through it. And, you know, it sounds like has overcome it, um, either entirely, or at the very least, to the point that someone can go live a normal productive life, right? That's what really matters. You know, I don't think I'm not under the belief yet that every mental health condition ever is 100% curable, or it's going to go away completely. And that's okay, it doesn't have to, because we can still learn to be productive members of society that have good lives and 
have otherwise normal lives, even with that. So that's all that matters. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, with the hormonal stuff, because I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit, but we do have some extra time because I have two more questions at the end, but I want to make sure we get to this as well because I'm able to with the hormonal stuff. I feel like this is such a huge topic. Um, I'm not saying it's not prevalent in men. I just think women one are more aware of it. Um, and two, I do think it's worse in women. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that, you know, namely that women are expected to use so many products and all this extra stuff that really just act as like endocrine disruptors or affect people's hormones. You know, there's so much extra stuff with the makeup, the hairsprays, the <laughs> shampoos or whatever. I've made this joke on the podcast before. It's like, you know, I can go take a 10 minute shower and shave and I'm ready for the day. And you know, a female though is expected and, um, to do all this extra stuff, right? And it takes more time and there's more products going into their skin and it's absorbing and stuff. So that's always one of the reasons I think we're having this huge hormonal issue. But as someone who works with women who are having these types of issues, are there any like common themes that you're seeing that maybe could be like easy wins for these people? Like what's coming up over and over again? Are they all type A people? Do they all use specific types of products or their diets a certain way? Like what's a common uh, theme that you've maybe noticed? Most women are not eating enough. I think that's like the biggest thing most because we've been conditioned to believe that in order to maintain a certain body size or just because we're women, you know, we're not supposed to eat as much as men. Um, you know, a lot of women are restricting themselves. Like, you know, I get some women sometimes and they're like, here, an example, I'm working with a client right now and she sent me five days worth of calories because she, her, one of her goals is to lose weight her average was 1200 calories a day. And I was like, we, you are not going to lose weight on 1200 calories. We want, we have to really rev up your metabolism and we have to get you up to 2000 because your body is starving. So I think that's a common theme and that will directly affect your hormones because your body is going to be in a fight or flight uh, response. And it's not going to um, have enough energy to allow yourself to ovulate or, you know, to also work on digestion or to even remove um, toxins out of your body it, or even maintain the hair on your head. It's literally going to be in survival mode. I feel like this is uh, such a great message for people because it's so counterintuitive. <laughs> you know, everyone just hears calories in, calories out, and that's what leads to weight loss or weight gain or whatever. And it's just taken to the extreme. And there are so many well buts and, you know, ifs that go into those statements. And I never even realized how big the under eating in general, right? Not even just anorexia, but just in general was a problem for women, especially young women, because my friend Janelle, she posts a lot about this and she did not have an eating disorder, but she does or dealt with what she called disordered eating, you know, and she mm -hmm. felt for this. And I actually think she posted the exact same number, believe it or not, it was around 12, 1300 calories. And she shows the photos of when she was eating like that versus when she was eating like 2000. And, you know, not that we want to be basing it just off body image in general anyway, but like Janelle looks great. She looks healthy now eating significantly more like percentage wise. That's notably more, you know what I mean? That's over 30% more calories, but she actually looks better doing that. So yeah, guys, the body needs a certain amount of food. Um, and as funny as this sounds, but you know, like I'm a leaner person, I think unintentionally I fell into this trap of not realizing how many calories I actually need, especially you and I are similar where we both just bounce off the walls and like we're doing a thousand things every single day. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
mean? The, the body requires fuel for that. And I don't even think I've realized sometimes how much fuel is required to go do that. And there's a huge stress from under eating. There's quite a few things I've learned from um, your posts, actually, like even the correlation between like how exercise can be causing acne. I'm like, what the heck? Like, why would that happen? And it's not that you meant like, oh, well, it's the sweating. It's because it's a stress on the body. And I found that under times that I'm under a lot of stress, you know, I'll get a few breakouts here and there, which thankfully it never gets as bad as it used to be. It was traumatic at one point in my life. But I've realized if I tone back down on the exercise, I literally just did this experiment recently based on one of your posts. Um, I noticed, I'm like, wow, I'm actually doing less and I'm getting better health results, which I thought was totally cool and crazy. And that leads me to my second to last question. Where can people find you, um, especially the Instagram, because there's so many great tips out there that you're posting all the time. Yeah, so they could find me um, on my Instagram primarily at Barbara Medimenos. Um not sure if I should spell that, but it's B-A-R-B-A-R-A-M-A-D-I-M-E-N-O-S. Um, or my website is currently under construction, but once it's back up, it's www.barbaramedimenos.ca. Okay, cool. And I'll make sure that is in the show notes for everyone. All right. Now, our final question on the Health Detective podcast is one that's kind of similar to the one that I asked about anorexia, but that was more just personal because I think that's a useful thing for today while we have you on. This question is meant generally. You can answer it any way you like. And the question is, if we were able to give Barbara, in this case, a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health or get them to stop doing one thing, what is the one thing that you would get everyone to do? Oh my God, that's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, if I'm going to speak in, in general, um, putting aside, you know, the topic that we spoke of, you know, with eating disorders, I think one of the most important things that both men and women should do is strength train. You know, muscle is an endocrine organ, um, and it is probably the most beneficial thing you could not just do for your physical health, but for your mental health as well. What an awesome person, right, man? I have so much respect for anyone that comes on this podcast and shares what are most likely some of the darkest parts of their life and the hardest things that they've dealt with. And they're doing this selflessly, right? Maybe yes, if they have a business, they get a client, that's great, right? But at the end of the day, there's no guarantee of that. I mean, they're coming on to help other people. I just, I find that stuff so amazing, so inspiring. And especially when it's something with an issue as serious and as stigmatized as mental health. I think it just takes that much more courage to come on and do something like this. So Barbara, thank you so much for hopping on here and doing this with us. Uh, We love you, man. And well, we'll man. (laughs) And uh, we're just so glad to have you on. Hey guys, we love you as well. And we thank you for listening to yet another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. As always, I'm your host, Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev. And if you like the information that we're sharing, could you please be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? And I just kind of realized, I think, I think I'm correct on this, that you can leave reviews on Spotify. If I am accurate in my statements, we'd love it if you left us a review or two there as well. Thank you so much, and we are looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Health Detective Podcast. If you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button. 